From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The rapid spread of the coronavirus Delta variant has accelerated talk about the need for vaccinated Americans to get a booster shot. I'll talk about what that means with Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's an infectious disease specialist who directs Upstate's Institute for Global Health and Translational Science, and he was the coordinating principal investigator for the Pfizer-BioNTech Global Vaccine Trial. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Thomas, and thank you for making time. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, when the vaccines first rolled out, we heard how effective they were against COVID-19, at least in terms of preventing serious illness from the virus. Can you explain why booster shots are being recommended now? So, you know, there are two conversations that are that are going on right now, and I, th I think it's important to distinguish them. Um, one conversation is about booster doses, and the other conversation is about third doses. Uh, and uh, it, it sounds like they're the same thing, but they're actually not. So when we're when we're talking about third doses, we're talking about um, immunosuppressed populations. So people that have had solid organ transplants, people that have had uh, that have leukemia or lymphoma, or uh, they're receiving medications that suppress their uh, immune system, or people with other diseases that suppress their immune system uh, in, in that in that same way. And what we're saying is these folks do not have as robust an immune response to a two-dose vaccination series as people without those conditions. And so what has been uh, authorized uh, is actually a third dose. So your, your, your primary series is a three-dose series. And that's what uh, was just recently um, opened up to the population. Uh, so then the second conversation is about booster doses. And what that means is um, people who respond very well to that initial two dose series. The question is, how quickly does their immune response wane or decline over time? And at what point will the decline of that immune response uh, all of a sudden mean that they're at increased risk um, uh, or at or once again at risk? for getting infected and having a clinically significant uh, outcome, like, um, you know, sick enough to go to the doctor or be admitted to the hospital or, or potentially die. Those are, those are called booster doses and they might be six months, eight months, 12 months, 18 months, you know, uh, whatever. So, so that, so it's important, I think, for your listeners to know that there's two different conversations and they're actually, uh, they're actually separate. And, and well, let me let me ask you if I can. You call it a third dose. Now, what if an immunocompromised person got the Johnson and Johnson shot, which was supposed to be just you know one shot? Would they are they being told that they may need a second Johnson and Johnson dose? Yeah. So uh, I I I use the the two doses and three three doses uh, intentionally because uh, there currently is not a recommendation. Um, as it relates to the, the one dose Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, because the data does not exist to, uh, or it has not been made um, uh, known uh, to allow that decision, you know, that deliberation and decision to occur. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm referring specifically to the messenger, uh, messenger RNA vaccines. I mean, there have been, there have been studies uh, looking at, uh, uh, boosting AstraZeneca, which is a two-dose uh, vaccine. There have been studies looking at um, mixing and matching, something we call heterologous prime boost uh, studies. Uh, but those those have been 
primarily done uh, outside of the outside of the United States, and obviously AstraZeneca is not available in the U.S. So, so really, right now, the the, the third dose and booster dose conversations are with uh, the messenger RNA vaccines. So those are. I'm glad you described the differences between the two, um, so we don't get them too mixed up. But I do have some questions. The Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are, are different than the one made by Johnson and Johnson. They're mRNA vaccines, which, if I understand correctly, means that they instruct the cells in our bodies to build immunity to the virus. So what I'm confused about is why would those cells forget how to build immunity, and and why would I need a booster of one of those mRNA vaccines. So the, the idea of of booster doses is not a new idea. There are lots of there are vaccines that are currently in uh, the U.S. immunization schedule which require which require booster doses, uh, and that actually is not necessarily a function of the vaccine or the vaccine technology because. In nature, we have lots of diseases that we can be reinfected with, right? There are some diseases that give you long-term protection, and there are some diseases that the protection um, wanes over time. True, right? true. So it it is kind of um, mimicking uh, mimicking the way nature sometimes uh, you know sometimes works, um, and and deciding whether uh, um, exploring whether a booster dose is necessary or not. Is really a very common element of vaccine development. Um, these, you know, the question of will we need uh, a booster dose or not is is always discussed in uh, in the context of vaccine development. And studies uh, studies are always kind of put into the uh, into the master plan to uh, to make that uh, to make that assessment. So you are correct. Messenger RNA, uh, which we have in our bodies all the time, uh, is Instructing our cells to make the spike protein from SARS-CoV-2, and then once that spike protein is made, the body's normal immune response to that foreign spike protein uh, then occurs, and this is when antibodies and T cells and other parts of our immune system then start to do uh, uh, what what they inherently, you know, what they inherently do. Um, but again, it's not always it's not always lifelong, and and sometimes you do need uh, sometimes you do need a boost to uh, to make sure that your immunity stays above a level that will protect you. Can you talk about what scientists in Israel have learned about the vaccines that concerns scientists in the United States? Sure, uh, you know they um, they were very early adopters of vaccines. Uh, they used uh, messenger RNA vaccines and. They vaccinated a huge percent of their population. Almost eighty percent of their population was uh, was vaccinated, and the healthcare system over there has allowed them to uh, uh, collect a lot of data uh, over over time uh, from the beginning of this thing until uh, until today. And so, what has been happening um, and what they have been reporting is that over time they are seeing vaccine breakthroughs. Uh, and what what that means is that people who have previously been uh, fully vaccinated are now getting infected. And what um, the you know what the, the press has kind of latched on to are the uh, are kind of the top line 
very scary, <laughs> uh, very scary headlines, which, you know, Pfizer vaccine efficacy going from 95% to 30%. But if you dig into the data and you dig into the details, um, it's a little bit of a different story. And so um, a vaccine breakthrough, and I really don't, I don't like the term necessarily, because I, I, I think it has implications that are not uh, intuitive to people that are not necessarily in the business, but um, they look at all infections. So um, has the vaccine uh, been able to prevent people from getting infected, uh, whether they get sick or not? And that is, that is really not what vaccines are designed to do. It's a very high bar. Most vaccines do not prevent infection. So it is not surprising that over time, the ability of a vaccine to prevent infection uh, is down to 30, 40%. Well, if you then look at the next category that they looked at, they looked at, oh, well, what about infections that make people mildly sick? Well, the vaccine is still about 45, 44% at preventing people from getting mildly ill, which by the way, that's what seasonal flu vaccines, uh, that's what their efficacy is. It's about 45%, the seasonal flu vaccines that we get every year. But if you dig into the data and you say, well, how good is this vaccine today, six, eight, nine months later, at protecting people from what I think are the, the, pub, the, the clinical outcomes that represent the public health burden of COVID, which is severe disease, hospitalization, and death, they're still operating at about 85% and greater efficacy. So if you just look at the headline, which is all-inclusive, it's a really dire story, but if you look at the details in the data, uh, it shows that these vaccine, uh, you know, that, that in this case, they were looking at Pfizer, but um, there are other studies in other countries where the data is all very similar. Even six months, eight months out, these vaccines are preventing the severe outcomes with 80% plus uh, efficacy. Now, with your experience as an infectious disease doctor, how frequently are you seeing someone who's fully vaccinated but becomes seriously ill or hospitalized with COVID? You know, we used to not really see it at all, but yes, uh, we we are seeing people who get admitted to the hospital that have been fully vaccinated, um, but they are the minority. So, you know, we are still seeing, so the people who are dying from COVID in the United States, uh, you know, 95 plus percent of them are unvaccinated. The people who are getting admitted to the hospital for COVID who are um, fully vaccinated, also 90 plus percent unvaccinated. The people who are vaccinated and getting admitted to the hospital or the people who are vaccinated uh, and dying of COVID, uh, these are the high risk, mostly the high risk people. The vast majority are uh, they're, they're older folks, they're seniors, you know, more than 65 years of age. They have other uh, medical problems. Some of them have, uh, are immunosuppressed. It's the population of people that, one, you would uh, uh, expect them to not have as robust an immune response to immunization in the first place. And number two, if they did get infected, they had a, a low reserve to be able to tolerate um, the, the infection. Uh, it is still obviously uh, in, incredibly uh, tragic that that, that it occurs, um, but I, I still think that it speaks to uh, the fact that these these vaccines are uh, still all of them are still doing what uh, what they were intended to do. 
Well, I imagine most vaccinated people at this point wouldn't think if they if they woke up with sniffles and a headache, they their first thought wouldn't be, oh my God, I've got COVID because they're vaccinated. So when does someone who has been vaccinated need to get tested for COVID? Yeah, I think in this day and age of uh, Delta, um, number one, uh, number two, at a time when um, much of the United States is on fire with COVID and hospitals are full and pediatric intensive care units are full and cases are uh, way, way up, you know, higher than they've ever been uh, and deaths are, are creeping up. Um, you know, even our own county saw a huge percent increase in the positive test rate uh, just yesterday. I think that uh, you need to, in terms of whether you seek out testing or not, uh, you need to seek out testing, thinking as if you were not vaccinated. So any, any you you should not let the fact that you've been vaccinated um, be used to write off any symptoms you're having that could potentially be due to COVID, because uh, the odds are, it's it's not going to be a major problem for you unless you're you know a, a very small percentage and those people who are highly immunosuppressed. But, but number two, one of the reasons we get tested is not just to confirm, oh, yes, I, I have COVID, but, but so that you can be isolated and that close contacts can be tested. And, and then those people can be quarantined so that we do not uh, continue uh, this cycle of uh, infected people infecting others, whether they're vaccinated or not, right? The, the, the vaccine is going to do a great job at protecting a bad outcome. It's probably going to do a pretty good job at reducing your infectivity but it's not 100% and you don't want to get someone else uh, infected or sick. You were talking about the difference between a third dose, which is, I think that's being recommended now for people with compromised immune systems to go ahead and get a third shot now, right? Correct. And then the difference between that and the boosters. Um, so let me ask you about the booster. Is Is that going to be a third shot of the same vaccine or are the vaccine makers creating something special for a booster for the general population? Yeah, so the booster conversation now um, really is about getting a, uh, a um, an additional dose of the original vaccine. Okay. Made with the original strain. Uh, the caveat to that is all of the vaccine manufacturers are looking at making uh, uh, vaccines that are specifically tailored to the different, uh, the different variants that are, that are circulating in, in case, uh, you know, in case that they are needed. I see. Now, are scientists in agreement whether people need to take the same brand that they took originally? In other words, if you got a Pfizer shot series originally, is that the one that you need to get for a booster or should you mix it up? Uh, Scientists in agreement. I, that, that, I don't know. I don't know if I can, if I can tell you that everyone's in agreement. I can certainly give you my opinion, which, which is, I think it is preferable that you uh, get the same vaccine from the same manufacturer as your original uh, two dose series, um, uh, or if you know if they authorize a second dose of Johnson and Johnson, that you you try to do that, primarily because that's the data that's going to be available and uh, valuable uh, in terms of safety and the immune response, et cetera. So we want to try to do things that support that are supported by data. And most commonly what you're going to see is the same vaccine generating uh, uh, data. So I would start there. 
Uh, if that was not um, for some reason available to you, then I would try to stay in the same class, meaning I would try to have messenger RNA and messenger uh, RNA. Um, if you if you have to, if you're not able to get the same uh, manufacturer, um, and then you know to go further beyond that, if uh, uh, you know if you've got uh, one of the adenovirus vectored vaccines, whether it was AstraZeneca or um, or Johnson and Johnson, uh, then you're really kind of uh, going into the land of very little data. Uh, at which point, I would you know I I might consider. Uh, you know, just getting a complete immunization series with whatever vaccine is now, uh, you know, available uh, available to you until there's some data that uh, more than just one study with small numbers that that kind of show you can mix and match. You can mix and match these vaccines. How soon after your previous um, vaccinations is it recommended to get a booster? Like, how do you have to wait a certain amount of time? Because with the Delta variant surging in our community, you know, a lot of people are kind of nervous about that. Should they go out and get a booster shot now? Uh, not yet, because, uh, well, one, I think the, you know, the White House indicated that they're going to be, um, you know, and the manufacturers have indicated that, that there's going to be some guidance coming out very soon about, um, you know, when booster doses would be, uh, uh, would be appropriate for non-immunocompromised uh, people. Uh, so I think that's number one. I think I think number two, again, that you know the the data uh, in large part demonstrates that these vaccines, even you know six months out, are doing what they are supposed to be. Uh, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and um, so I would not, uh, you know. So that's number two, and and number three, and this is a little bit. I guess of editorializing a little bit, uh, you know, half the country still isn't vaccinated. Only 30 to 40% of 12 to 18 year olds are vaccinated and kids under 12 are, are not vaccinated. Um, and so I personally, you know, I, 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 I think that it, uh, focus uh, and effort and intention, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, needed to dilute. We should not be diluting that on talking about booster doses um, for otherwise healthy people that have had robust immune responses when we have uh, half the country and a lot of the planet uh, not having had their first vaccination series yet. So, um, you know. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. It, it sounds like things are kind of lining up to where vaccinated adults are going to be getting a third shot before kids under 12 even get a first one is that what's happening uh it's possible i mean certainly they've opened it up for immunocompromised uh people which i think you know again my personal opinion is that's very appropriate based on all the data that's out there they clearly don't have they're, they're at the highest risk of a bad outcome if they do get infected and they clearly don't have the same immune response to vaccination that the rest of us uh, do. So I think that that makes a ton of sense, right? They're a population that we want to uh, that we want to protect. Um, you know, I my my personal my personal opinion, and this is not based on any you know, uh, uh, any you know any specific information that I have. But my opinion is that I think a lot uh, a, there's going to be a lot going on in this last quarter of the year in terms of 
uh, vaccinations becoming available to certain um, uh, groups of children, uh, uh, clarity on uh, recommendations for booster doses. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot that's going to uh, a lot that's going to happen. So we don't really have a firm timeline on the vaccine development for children under 12, but it looks like maybe before the end of the year, we'll know more. I would, I would expect, uh, you know, that the FDA has had the data. Um, they work 24 seven down there. They're really doing an incredible job in my, in my opinion. It's very complicated. It, it, uh, uh, you know, these are, these are. These are people who are going to be getting vaccines, not because they specifically raise their hand to say vaccinate me, although uh, some kids, including my own, have done that. Um, so, you know, it's it's other people, um, you know, asking the kids to be vaccinated. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the FDA wants to make sure that the, the safety data is there uh, to feel comfortable with authorizing this for use in 5 to 12 year olds. Well, let me ask you, aside from the moral issues, does it make scientific sense for wealthy nations to start offering booster shots before the poor nations have been able to vaccinate their populations? Well, that's, that is a, uh, you know, that is a political, um, you know, international geopolitical uh, conversation, right. which just does not apply. Um, to COVID vaccinations, it applies to lots of uh, uh, other, uh, you know, essential resources uh, and services and everything else. And so, uh, I don't, you know, I don't think just we could, we don't just have to single out um, COVID vaccinations for for that for that concept. And I would also say that even within our own country, I do believe that there is a segment of the country that has not been vaccinated, not because they don't want to be, um, but because this universal access to vaccines is not as universal in the United States as we think it is. And that I believe that, um, you know, folks in rural environments, folks in low socioeconomic status, uh, disadvantaged populations, I, I still don't think that they have the opportunities that um, uh, a lot of other segments of the population do. And I, so I bring that up saying this is not just a wealthy nation, poor nation issue. This is a, a disparity within our own uh, wealthy nation uh, issues, so we can we we can put our lens on that question right here at home in the United States. But I guess what I'm getting at is, if we uh, whichever population doesn't have access to the vaccine, if they're not vaccinated and they become infected, there's they're a threat to everyone or anyone. Absolutely, we're such a mobile society, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The world is a, the world is a small place. Uh, and until we're all protected, uh, none of us are truly protected. That is absolutely correct. Okay, as you and I are speaking in, in mid-August, I know that guidelines are still going to be coming out for who gets a booster shot when, um, you know, who who is a higher priority and that sort of thing. But it sounds like we might be looking at um, almost like flu shots we get every year. We may have to get more than one of these boosters. This might become a regular thing. Is that is that what might happen? Uh, it it might happen, but I'm not I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Again, this is why these studies are two years in duration, and there's a lot of folks who are going to be uh, kind of tracking all of this. I mean, hopefully, what will happen is that uh, you know we'll get kids vaccinated. Uh, a, 
you know, the other half of the of the US population, um, a significant percentage of them will get vaccinated. Um, and uh, Delta will start to, you know, Delta will start to go away and we'll have a little bit of space to to breathe, reassess, you know, look at uh, take an inventory of 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 where we are and then uh, uh, you know, we'll see in another uh, 6 to 12 months what uh, what what things uh, what things look like. All right, can you tell us when this is going to be over? I cannot. Well, I can't tell you in time. I can tell you in uh, uh, activity and effort. I, I think that um, when when we have a significant percent of the population that agrees to be uh, vaccinated, then I th and vaccine is made available uh, uh, to everyone, then that's when I th I think that's the only pathway to this being. Uh, to this being over, there are just too many people who are susceptible to infection. Um, that waiting for this, as some people have uh, proposed, waiting for this thing to uh, to burn out is just not a viable. It's just not a viable option. So um, the quickest the quickest way out of this is through um, vaccine uptake at uh, you know very very high levels, which is why we don't have measles and mumps and rubella and tetanus and all these smallpox and polio and all these other diseases. It's the same, it's the same game plan. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us about this. Thank you, Dr. Stephen Thomas. He's an expert in infectious disease and vaccine development, who's the director of Upstate's Institute for Global Health and Translational Science. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.